Hi, this is Vince Van Patten. Ed Roberts with a reminder that the next edition of TV Confidential will premiere next week on this station at the usual time. Ian Nathan will join us to talk about the films of Quentin Tarantino. Plus, we'll give you a preview of the new lobby exhibit at the Hollywood Museum honoring Knox Landing. We hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as their biggest this week in TV history. Tony's segment, as always, is brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly-performing live storytelling ensemble. StorySalon.com, Facebook.com, forward slash Story Salon. What do you have for us this week? February 7th, 1975, there was a show called Khan. K H A N exclamation point. Yes. <laughs> you can you can visualize a punch in the fist yes. thing coming to see the screen, maybe a little uh, yes. Batman pow yes. added to yes. it. And it's not Khan as in Ricardo Montalban and William Shatner in Star Trek to yes. the Wrath of Khan. That's yeah. very important. This but now a- you make me want to go, Khan! <laughs> <laughs> This was a show, it was a mid-season replacement uh, starring Kai D, uh, best known to television audiences as Wolf Fat, McGarrett's arch-villain in uh, Hawaii Five-O, and also earlier he was, he was the villain, one of the villains in The Manchurian Candidate, uh, the man behind the brainwashing. So and we're it, talking about an actor with... I mean, really a, good credits and really strong yes, training. A really wonderful an, actor. An accomplished character actor who happens to be who happened to be Asian American. By all accounts, he was a very interesting man off screen and that came across that certainly came across in his portrayal of Woe Fat. And because Hawaii Five O was one of CBS's top shows in nineteen seventy five and because this was the era of detective shows mm-hmm. And every detective show had to have a gimmick. We had a bald detective. We had a heavyweight detective. Yeah, we had a, you know, we had a sloppy detective. We had a sloppy detective. We had a blind detective. We had a blind detective. We had a wheelchair guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, someone in the network said, let's, let's build a show around Kai D and let's do a modern day Charlie Chance. So we'll have an Asian American detective. Okay. Which sounds like a plausible idea. Yeah. What? Okay, so they ordered 13 episodes, and they hired Kai D, and they start filming. And somewhere between the time they signed him and the the time they started filming, I mean, Kai D actually got hold of the first few scripts. And my understanding was appalled, because rather than take it in an interesting direction, they took the worst of the Charlie Chan mythology. So it was very, you had Khan being very inscrutable and you had the number one son and you had all the stereotypes and it sort of lent to a certain portrayal of Asian Americans in, in Chinatown culture. It, it, it took, it took place in San Francisco, but it was like, it was the broader, it was the broader. Yeah, and, and, and Charlie Chan, I mean, let's look at the history of those movies. There are, you know, movie channels that will not show those. Yeah. I, I do remember in the 80s, some of the, let's say, like the afternoon movie hosts, when we used to have those guys, if they showed a Charlie Shan movie, they were, you know, during the breaks, cutting to commercial, all that, they were really careful to establish historical content yeah. and, and even discuss, you know, those elements 
you know, and and basically say, you know, we're showing this because, you know, it is, you know, a famous movie and, and we always have, you know, a certain amount of time dedicated to this particular genre. And they talked about the historical elements, but they, you know, they really did pile on the disclaimers yeah. very heavily. Yeah. And there was an attempt at a Charlie Chan movie in the 80s, which I don't remember what happened with it. I'm trying to think of the British actor. Who was it? Was oh, it Peter Ustinov that played Charlie Chan? I think it was. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it and I mean, Peter it's just Ustinov. popping in, yeah. right? And yeah. I remember trailers, and I don't remember anything beyond that. I did it, you know, shelf. Because at this point, you could not do that. Yeah. There was a point. And, but also take a look at how fast the time changed because this is 1975. Yeah. Less than 10 years earlier on Get Smart, you had a character named, uh, Her- was it Harry Wu? Harry Wu, yeah. Yeah, which was, but I think people knew, oh, they are mocking the Charlie Chan yeah. movie. Just like a lot of Get Smart episodes would mock a genre. And yeah. I think, you know, that was fine. Uh, Peter Sellers played a Charlie Chan character around this same time in Murder by Death, mm-hmm. maybe a couple, you know. But again, it is a right. send-up. It was, it was uh, odd satire comedy. Yeah, they are making, yeah, they were yeah. mocking But th- that everyone. was not the case with Chan. I mean, no, Con, this, they Con, were trying this, to. This was an attempt at a straightforward dramatic series. And yes. also having an Asian American. actor portraying yeah. Charlie Chan. Had that been done before? I do not believe they had. I mean, they had they had Asian Americans play number one son and number yes. two son, including yes. James Hong and uh, Benson Fong and Kay Luke. They all played the number one son either on television or in the movies. But uh, in the title role, no, it was always it was either uh, Werner Oland or um, uh, J. Carol Nash. In these movies, also, let's not forget Charlie Chan had a manservant. Yes, that was if people did not have a problem with the Asian portrayal with Charlie Chan, they definitely had a problem with uh, the manservant role, which the name escapes me right now, but it's, I believe he had the name of a a popular state in the South. (laughs) I also remember uh, later in the 80s, um, Pat Morita had a, I think, O'Hara. Now, 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 but that was... Well, that was, well, okay, that was a more... uh, Yeah, a much much more more enlightened enlightened look. He was on the heels of the Karate Kid. Yeah, and I believe Morita had more of a Oh, yeah, I'm sure he did. And uh, even there, you know, it did have to be, and so I think this is historically significant, you know, he had the one season where he was the main lead. Yeah. And then the next season, they wanted to give him a partner, right. kind of in the mold of Tom Selleck or Lee Horsley, right. to kind of get that look, I, uh, maybe to get more women to watch or to uh, have somebody for him to work on. So they were tooling it. So you came in with one vision, right? And then it did get retooled, which probably. happens, which happens a lot. Now. Yeah. Yes. So I'm wondering how the con that attracted the talent. And then the con that actually wound up getting shot. Well, the problem is two things. To my knowledge, it, and, and believe me, I've looked. No prints of this show appear to exist anywhere. Yes. I mean, and it, That's it, pretty it, incredible. Do you know how many episodes they had in order for 13? How many shot? How many aired? Uh, to my knowledge, they shot, I think they shot eight or nine. They only aired four because the Asian-American community was particularly in an uproar over the uh, portrayal of, of the show. Not only the Asian-American community, but the star of the show, Kai D, was upset with the portrayal. He had his name taken off the show. He appeared on the show 
and you have the opening titles, con with the exclamation point. Yeah. And you would have the other cast members, Evan Kim as number one son, and Irene Yaling's son, as she played his daughter, and Vic Tabak from Alice mm-hmm. uh, was the resident police contact. But Kai D insisted on not having his name appear on either the opening credits or the closing credits. That's, I've never heard of that before. I, to my knowledge, never. that has never happened before or, or, or since. since. But the show went from February 7th to February 28th. Right. Now, um, <laughs> that's is the, then it's the other thing. <laughs> A number of CBS affiliates, including KPIX in San Francisco, which mm-hmm. San Francisco has a huge Asian-American... And it takes place in San Francisco. And it takes place in San Francisco. KPIX refused to show Khan. Instead, they, they did local programming from 8 to 9. And I, my understanding in other markets, other CBS affiliates refused to show the show as well. So, okay, so it wasn't getting play in major markets. The markets that were showing the show weren't getting enough audience reaction because it was up against uh, Sanford and Son and Chico and Chico and the Man. I think Chico and the Man. Yeah, on, Chico and the Man was, on, on, was, was brand new. Okay, so that was... Okay, they so, were in season one. So NBC was, 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 was number one in that time slot, and I think whatever ABC was showing on Friday night, which I think the $6 million man was somewhere in that eight to nine time slot. I'd have to double check. but So Khan was finishing number three, in the time slot anyway. In a time when there were only three networks. In a time yeah. when there are only three networks. And so, the okay, so the fact, it's not being shown in all the markets. It's not doing well in the markets that's showing. And you're getting a lot of flack about the show, including flack from the star. <laughs> so, so all that considered, uh, CBS canceled the show after only four episodes. The, you know, I, I just happened to, and I just know this because I had my mind warps that way. For some reason, Patrick McNee was a special guest star in the final episode <laughs> that aired. Only because Channel 5 just happened to come in just before, they picked up the network feed at uh, like 8.59. So you got, you got to see a snippet of the next week's episode of Con, which was not going to be shown in San Francisco. So. <laughs> <laughs> I bring it up, A, because it's one of those interesting obscurities, but B, it kind of touches on something we've talked about a lot, uh, which is, in fact, this this came up recently with comedian Eddie Huang, who has a show on ABC called Fresh Off the Boat. He wrote a very well-publicized piece for New York Magazine. It was also, it was, it was also covered by NPR and all the trade papers, where he basically tore into ABC for homogenizing his mm-hmm. show. Eddie Huang is a Korean-American comic. Yeah. What happened to him reminded me of what happened to Margaret Cho about 20 years ago when she did her show. All-American Girl. All-American Girl, which was, you know, I mean, it was based on her Her. stand-up act, Mm -hmm. which one one of the running characters in her act is her mother, who speaks in broken English, you know. And so, but they sort of... The network thought it would be offensive to portray that, and so they, it, they sort of homogenized her show. And so what made her stand out all of a sudden was taken away from her, and so it was just another sitcom, and All-American Girl, I think, went 13 and out. And yeah. if it lasted a full season, it limped through its full season. Around the same time as Margaret's show, when the WB was starting, mm-hmm. there was, and I can't think of her name, and I used to do stand-up with her. She was uh, Mexican-American, 
and she got a sitcom deal to basically tell her story. And the same thing was happening. You know, when you do have relatives that, you know, may have come directly from, in this case, Mexico, Mm -hmm. and refuse to, you know, do any sort of assimilation living in the States, and then the next generation is all American, (laughs) you do have that kind of conflict where the parents expect you to follow the old traditions, which the next generation is not even familiar with. All they know is what they know. But also there were different economic, social things that she mined for humor. Mm -hmm. Everything from pronunciation, uh, you know, one generation Americanizing the pronunciation, one generation using the proper pronunciation. And she had bits just about that. Uh, She had an episode about going to the dentist and... Uh, a lot of people of uh, lower income in Los Angeles, regardless of ethnic background, may take a long drive down to San Diego, cross the border, <laughs> and see a dentist in Tijuana, because that's what they can afford, and get you know pharmaceuticals there. That's no big deal. But she had an episode about that, and it was more about the challenge, and the network at that time turned it into like they were visiting a Carnival Cruise yeah. <laughs> uh, depiction of Tijuana. It was not... You know, the depiction that she created, it was sombreros and serapes and maracas in the dentist office, which is exactly what she was trying to avoid. So, I mean, you do see it historically. All-American Girl, I thought, was very funny in the fact that knowing those of us who have, you know, some sort of ethnic background, there are certain idiosyncrasies that each member of the family have, and you're trying to create characters based on those family members and you're being honest and the comedy comes from the honesty mm-hmm. of what you're depicting and then somebody's saying this is not appropriate or to the extreme they push it all the way to the other side of the spectrum and just make it farcical two things when we were talking about this before we started recording one of the problems with con is it was white people writing mm-hmm. about the asian american community or Asian American characters and without realizing it end up they end up playing into all these I I don't think they intend to do all the the, the stereotypes but they end yeah. up doing it anyway. I would say that you have to give a certain benefit of the doubt that there was not any sort of malicious intent but the imagery is based on images that they've seen. Yeah. Uh my my best example would be uh Americans doing Irish accents. Mm-hmm. All right. You have generations of Americans doing Irish accents, not because they went to Ireland, because they studied other American actors doing Irish accents. And we had decades of a certain stereotype of a leprechaun, Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, when it could be the cop, which is usually what it was on the East Coast. It Mm -hmm. was that cop. And then somebody would work very hard to study that accent, take the role very seriously, and that's what they would do. They weren't necessarily doing a bad Irish accent. They were doing a very good impression of another actor doing a bad Irish accent. And along the way, uh, inadvertently... With with, with most people who have no... Especially anybody who was born post uh, JFK, right. nobody thinks, oh, this is a stereotype. This is what yeah. they grew up hearing. So yeah. they think that's the norm. And then, unfortunately, 
you do get somebody who may has studied the authentic yeah. dialect or the th- authentic, and they go into the audition and they say, "Oh no, you're doing it all wrong. Do it this yeah. way." And they go do into it the lucky more charm. Irish. Yeah. Be do more, be more Irish. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. want they want the lucky charms leprechaun. Yeah, so you end up per- uh, perpetuating these images yeah. without without realizing the irony. Is uh, but you know, I would say a lot of people. There was no malicious intent, no racism. No, you know, they were they were going so. for authenticity. It was just it was. But in the case of Khan, it was just bad execution. The irony mm-hmm. is that we mentioned Sanford and Son. Now, Sanford and Son happened to be written by white guys, and we know this because it, yes. it was it was developed by Norman Lear and you know Bud 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 yeah. Yorkin and based and, on a British yeah comedy. Yeah. Yes. That However, what made that different, I would argue, is that it played into the strengths of Fred Fox. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they they understood what Red Fox brought, and they brought in people such as LaWanda Page, who worked with incredible. Red Fox for years, and mm-hmm. so they knew each other, and so they were they were writing to the actors There's, and the and what they brought and their the strengths. Characters. Yeah. So that's why that th- that is why. Okay, yes, it happens to be about black man and his son, but the humor of the show is is universal. Yes. And uh, Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney did write one episode, and it is a very funny episode, and the chemistry between Fred and Lamont is great. Uh, what is bonding the two in this episode is probably not the healthiest thing. They're, <laughs> they're making fun of somebody. They actually are trying to not laugh in front of company, yeah. and then they have to go into the kitchen and let all the laughs out. And it's a beautiful moment. with yeah. the two. It's not you know the nicest thing that they could do, but they couldn't yeah, help laughing. And it was very nice and organic and an experience that everybody has that they might not want to admit to. But it was beautifully written. The The issue was also is, uh, you know, Red Fox got rid of his writing staff and wanted to have all black writers. Yeah. And when certain nuances of American situation comedy were not coming through, pacing, timing, something like that, he famously said, somebody get me back my Jews. Because <laughs> you had... And, and, you know, this is... And you have to understand that uh, American situation comedy... And I wish uh, we had Dan Farron because he could really break it down yeah. versus, let's say, the origin of the show, which is British. You know, we have, you know, a lot of our comedy comes from the Borscht Belt and yeah. a lot of the Brits come from the uh, music halls. So there is something different uh, that we have. I mean, there are always universal themes, but with American comedies, you know, the mother-in-law joke is there. You see it with Endora and Bewitch on Sanford's Son. It just happened to be on Esther instead of you know, an actual mother-in-law, but you do have certain conventions and there is a rhythm and timing and delivery. You know, some people who don't like American sitcoms probably don't like that particular format or formula. Uh, in more recent years, we we are now able to get away from that because uh, a lot of the shows that are not playing to the live audiences anymore, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You can have longer pauses and, and uh, comedy coming from deadpan expressions where, you know, not everything has to be a one-liner or a zinger. Uh, but, you know, this was a time where it was da-da-da-da-da-da, da-da, laugh, and, and that's how it played out. But I think a lot of the African-American sitcoms of the time suffered that same thing. I mean, Sanford and Son is just the probably the best known. Ironically enough, probably the only good part about Khan and the only part that exists is the theme. Yeah. It sounded like any other detective show 
theme song, maybe with a teeny little bit of Asian influence. Yeah. It's some In of the it, beginning, yeah. but very exciting. Promised a lot, yeah. And I guess the show was never able to deliver. But I, what I heard was the same thing that I would have heard out of the theme song of a Barnaby Jones yeah. or a Kojak mm-hmm. or it, it, an Ironside. It, it, it very, as MST3K would say, yeah. 70s theme song music. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you hear that theme and you could hear the narrator for every Quinn Martin yeah. show yeah. come on. Yeah. Uh, definitely. But, uh, I, but also remember, and 10 years earlier also, and I talked about Get Smart, which was spoof drama series especially the westerns it was maybe a lot of caucasian actors with dark hair and they were just squinting the whole episode and that was the asian portrayal so this is and i'm sure max factor had a makeup shade (laughs) yeah Child of Television.blogspot.com, Child of Television.blogspot.com, also StorySalon.com. Donna's four-part novel series is now complete. Yes, it is. The last book, Fall Again Reunion, was published a few months ago. You'll see where the story finally ends. And to find out how the story begins and end, go to FallAgainSeries.com. Tony and Donna, we'll see you both next time. Next, next time. time. Be part of our conversation. If you have thoughts on what you've heard tonight, whether you agree or disagree, we want to hear from you. Send us an email, talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net, and we'll work your comments into our next program. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today. 800-712-8002. That's 800-712-8002. Paid for by U.S. Med. Maverick, Legend of the West, revised third edition, completely updated with more than 100 pages of new information about the show that made James Garner a star, including a dozen new interviews and a lot more comments from James Garner himself. Maverick, Legend of the West, revised third edition, available now at mavericklegendofthewest.com, mavericklegendofthewest.com. Hi, this is Robert Glassie. You're listening to TV Confidential. Roberts here with a reminder that Richard Benjamin and Diane Cannon will be appearing at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood on Sunday, January 26th, following a special screening of The Last of Sheila. For tickets and more information, go to AmericanCinematechCalendar.com, AmericanCinematechCalendar.com. Also a reminder that Mossy Furlong can be seen opposite Dwayne Johnson and Jack Black in Jumanji, The Next Level. He can also be seen as... The villainous Lee Taglin opposite Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in Bad Boys for Life. Both Bad Boys for Life and Jumanji The Next Level are playing in theaters everywhere. You can follow Mossy on Facebook and on Instagram. You can also follow Diane Cannon on Instagram. They'll do it for a program this week, folks. Ed Robertson, Rafa, Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, Phil Grace, Greg Airbarter, producer Chris Corman. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time on TV. Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x 
facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.